How, how, many, how many of y'all are willing to do it like me and, and, and be honest with yourself that that was a time that, 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 that you were walking with the Lord and you, you snatched your hand out of his hand? Anybody said, I'm going to do this myself. How did that work for you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, really, really, I don't know that you had the right relationship at that time because can I tell you, when the Lord has your hand, you can't snatch your hand out. Alright? You can't snatch your hand out of his hand. Oh, no, 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 no. It's like a child walking across the street. You say, hold my hand. And they won't do it. So you grab that hand. And you know how you grab that hand. Yeah, there ain't nothing can come along and get that baby's hand out of your hand. Well, that's how the Lord does us, no matter how baby we act. No, how, no matter how immature we act. Can't snatch your hand out of his hand. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never, songwriter says, I'll never change the tea and say, he'll never let go. He'll never let go of my hand. Yeah. He's still holding on. He's still holding on. Yeah. He'll never let go of your hand. He'll never let go. That's right. That's right. That's right. He's still. He's still holding on. Come on now. I know I see some individuals in our church congregation today whose names don't appear on our church roll. And on behalf of the church, I want to welcome you for joining us today. And I want to tell you that we strive to be the friendliest church on the parking lot to the pulpit and keep the COVID cases out there from happening. So we welcome you. And let's make sure that we dap them up or give them a pound or something uh, when they come in so they know that they are welcome. Some kind of acknowledgement. So I see you, brother. I see you. I, uh, and there may be others here who I have not seen. I see others, too, who are here whose names don't appear on our church roll, which is why uh, it came to mind. So let's make sure uh, they feel welcome, not just because um, they don't know what the friendly church song is. Do we? Hip hard. Do we, do we know? What it is? Is, is it just a placeholder? If it's the friendly church song and we're we're greeting people, then we, we can greet people. Amen. 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 
All right. Today I want to start a sermon series that's going to be entitled Pressure Points. Pressure Points. It's points in our lives that cause us issues. And see what the Bible tells us in terms of how to deal uh, with those issues. Today I'm going to take you to, I think, a very familiar passage of Scripture, maybe with a little twist on how we look at it. And it, um, the, it's, a, it's a rather long passage of scripture because there's so much in it. There's so much in it. Uh, it's a, there's a primary passage that comes from Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 32. Jesus is way busy in this passage of scripture. You just, I don't know if you've ever seen it from this standpoint. And then there's a, there's a, there's a supportive scripture that comes from James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Well, I won't read the James scripture. I'll reference it at some point during the message, but Matthew is our primary scripture. Yeah. And if we have to use a central thought for this message, as I, if you allow me to read the scripture, the central thought for this message is, Mama said there'd be days like this. Mama said, there would be days like this, like this. Let me see if I can read it for you. Starting in chapter 13. I mean, I'm sorry, starting, starting in chapter 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, I'm blind this, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, Master, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. To which the disciples replied, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them here, Jesus said. And then he directed the people to sit down on the grass Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and, underline this, were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about, watch this, 5,000 men not including women and children. Can anybody say that's a miracle? Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he stayed and dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat that the disciples were in was already a considerable distance from land 
and it was being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus simply replied, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat, in the boat worshiped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Everybody ought to say, Phew. busy, busyness. Jesus was worn out that day. I don't know if you've ever read this passage in this context from all the activities that were happening in not even a 24-hour span of time. Jesus went through an entire uh, weeks of activity. But notice what happens here, because I believe some of you have had that happen in a single day, too. You've had so much happen in a single day. You, you say, Lord, have mercy. I can't have too, too many more days like this. Look, 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 let me see if I can, let me see if I can uh, uh, go through it again and make sure you understand it. First, it started out. You don't know this unless you read the previous verses. He finds out that his cousin has been murdered. John the Baptist has been beheaded. And the news comes to him. That's the first part of verse 13. He says, and when Jesus heard what happened. So the immediate thing that we start out with in this passage is Jesus is grieving. Because he's lost someone who's extremely close to him. He's grieving, but then he moves on and he sees the crowds. You see what kind of crowds we're talking about. The Bible says that there were 5,000 men that followed him, not including the women and children. Yeah, that's the patronizing writing that's done by the Bible writers at that time that they didn't think women and children were enough to be counted. Yeah, it's 5,000 men and them. It's basically what they said. Yeah, so you would well imagine there may have been as many women and children as men behind them. So we're talking about gigantic numbers that they had to feed. So he, he had compassion on them, the Bible says. Uh, and so um, he started healing them. Can you imagine how many people needed something in that crowd? So he's grieving the loss of his cousin. But people come to him pulling from him. You ever had a day like that? You got something going on, but everybody wants something from you. And it seems like you ought to have a sign over your head that says, not today. Just give, give me today. All right, but that's not how life works. And so he starts, the Bible says he starts helping them and healing them and comforting them 
because he had compassion on them. And in the midst of that, the disciples come to him with the problem that it seems as if they ought to be able to master, but they can't. They come to him and say, Jesus, all these folk are here. Just let, send them away. Stop the revival right now. Send them on their way and let them go and get something to eat um, before it's too late for them to march back because there's no lighting in the desert where they were. And he said, no, you feed them. You feed them. And they said, well, we, we don't have anything. We got a couple of Lunchables over here. That's it. Jesus said, and showed them, give me what you got, because when you give me what you got, I'm going to give it back to God. And God is going to multiply to meet our need. And that's exactly what happened. So much so, the, so that the five, the, the, the five loaves of bread and the two fish that they had. Now, I want you to know, don't get this confused. There are multiple accounts of, of uh, mass feedings by Jesus. Okay, not just one. There's one where he fed 4,000, one where he fed 5,000. That's not somebody getting the numbers wrong. This happened more than one time. He created food truck rally in the desert there for everybody, but you know, fortunately, everybody was selling fish and chips that day. I mean, that's, that's, that's what happened, and they had enough left over to take up baskets uh, for, the next, for the next period of time. Now, as if that wasn't enough, Jesus finishes feeding them and as he's about to dismiss the crowd, he tells the disciples, you go ahead ahead of me on across the lake. So they get in the boat to leave. And Jesus goes up in the mountain by himself. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. But then the Bible says when it was almost day, which means he had been there all night praying. Yeah, when it was almost dawn, Jesus gets up and starts coming to them. Um, he doesn't hail another boat. He doesn't call Uber or whatever, Lyft. He simply starts walking. Because, see, for Jesus, because he's God's son, dirt and water are the same thing. Yeah. N neither of them are greater than his ability. And so he can walk on dirt, water, air, whatever. He simply starts going where he needs to go. And the Bible says he starts walking on the water toward them because they are a mile. A mile on the water is a long way. He walks a mile on the water towards them. And of course, they're in the, bed, they're in the boat rocking and, 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 and about to turn out because the wind is blowing. On the lake they were in, it was not uncommon for storms to start quickly because it was almost in a bowl. And when the wind would come in, it would, it would do terrible things to the fishermen. And so they are petrified. And they were scared of water anyway. They were really afraid of water because they had no mechanisms at that point to tell what was under the water. All right. So they were afraid of the water and it starts to shake and rock. And Jesus scares them because who would imagine seeing what looks like a person on the water at that point? They're petrified, you know, much like you and I would be. If you got a <laughs> if you got a swimming pool in the back of your house, you look out there. And you see your husband standing in the middle of it. Even if it's your husband, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> what you doing? Yeah, so Peter's the only one. Think about this now. Twelve in the boat. Only one of them said, Jesus, if it's you. So everybody laughs at Peter. But Peter was the only one that had the courage to stand up and say something. Lord, if it's you, just tell me to come. And I know if you tell me to come, I'll be all right. Jesus said, well, come on. 
It's just that simple. I mean, we formalize it, but Jesus said, I'm validating your faith. Come. And so he gets up and he starts walking toward Jesus on the water. He starts walking on the water. Can I tell you? Can I tell you, Tyrone? He wasn't really walking on water. He was walking on faith. Yeah. Yeah. Faith is as substantive as water. All right, you can draw a formula for faith just like you can draw H2O. And you can stand on that. And he's standing on the promise of God when he said, Come. But the Bible says he took his eye off Jesus when the wind caught him and he started sinking. And Jesus caught him. There's a whole lot of lessons in that. They get in the boat. As soon as they get in the boat, the wind dies down. And they realized they got something else on their hand that they didn't realize. If they hadn't already had their mind blown with that emoji with the mind blown, if that wasn't already over every one of the disciples, when he fed all those folk with the small food they had, then here it is again in the middle of the, in the, in the early morning when Jesus lets one of their brothers walk on water and sits down immediately <laughs> and the wind stops. Yeah, something's going on here. Uh, in, in December of two thousand, in December of seventeen seventy six, something amazing happened in what was not then the United States, not not as we know it. Anyway, the first president of this country, uh, he was then the head of the Continental Army, stood on the banks of the Delaware River. And he looked around him and he saw a decimated group of soldiers who had been following him. They had been fighting, fighting German mercenaries all over the countryside. And they were, to say, discouraged. They were getting beaten left and right. And General George Washington knew that after suffering several defeats, his folks didn't have much left in them. They were cold. They were in Delaware, you know, snow. They were hungry. They're standing in a place where he's trying to figure out his battle strategy, but he does not, he does, it's just not coming to him. Not only that, watch this, emotionally, it was three days before Christmas. And so all of them were homesick. They wanted to be with their family. And so it was at this point that George Washington opened a little book that had been written by one of the people we now call a patriot named Thomas Paine. And the name of the book was Common Sense. Common Sense. And he read the words that reverberate through American history and folklore. He read these words to his soldiers. He said, these are the times that try men's souls. He didn't cover it up. He didn't sugarcoat it. He simply told them the truth as it T.I. is. Yeah. He went on to describe the fact that there were people in the country who fought, but they were summer soldiers. Yeah, they were what we call, what they call sunshine patriots. They made it through the good times. But it took a special somebody to dig down 
and take it and, and make it through these tough times. And he tried to show them um, the reality of their situation. He didn't try to make them think that they weren't cold. He didn't try to make them think that they weren't hungry, tired. No, he just laid it out there and said, you're in that time of life. You're in that space in life where your soul is being tried. I believe we got some folk in here who can understand that life has brought you enough on at specific times that you believe the very core of your soul has been tried. You don't know that you could have gotten through the circumstances. Uh, in fact, in fact, one of the one of the uh, uh, writers has has coined it well and said, "If it had not been for the Lord on my side, I have no idea of where I would be." And some of y'all might feel like you're at that place in life right now. You hit a brick wall. The circumstances of your life, uh, in your family, in your marriage, you might be having a health situation going on that just keeps you uh, nervous and afraid all the time because you don't know what the next appointment is going to bring. The economy has got you up in arms. I had not driven in about uh, more than 60 some odd days. I filled up my car in 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 February, and when I filled up my car in February, normally it takes about sixty dollars to fill up my car. Honestly, all right, normally, yeah, I filled it up this past week, and it was a hundred and one dollars to fill it up. I know about the economy, all right. It affects everybody the same way. Yeah, everything. And I, I'm not going to even talk about milk. Thank God I don't have to buy baby formula. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff that's going on. And when you put all that together, when you put all that together, when you got to pay $20 for a pack of uncooked chicken wings, you know. Yeah, and it ain't no Sparks house without some chicken wings in it. I mean, you got to have some somewhere. I know I ain't by myself now. But aren't you glad when you start looking at how things are in your life that Jesus seems to have one of those days too? Doesn't it put it in perspective that I'm not the only one who has days like this, that my Lord and Savior, while he was here walking around, had one of them days that just seemed like it was going to rock his world. Starts out finding out somebody he loves, not just died, but was murdered in a public way, Herodias had him beheaded as a birthday present. What kind of sick evilness is that when you take all that and you know people bring news to you sometimes without compassion? Yeah, and they, you know, they tell and say names not realizing, I love that name you're saying. I love that person you're talking about. And, uh, and it's now they're using your life as fodder for conversation. And Jesus had to deal with that. But I, I want to tell you this now. Everybody doesn't get better in their faith walk until there's some pressure applied in their life. Oh, yeah, it's pressure that makes the difference. And it's days like this that bring pressure into your life. And how you respond to it 
makes a difference. Um, pressure can be a powerful tool. Oh, it can, it can, you know, it can hurt you. Pressure can hurt you. A pressure washer is indispensable when it comes to cleaning up around your house. Um, pressure in your tires means that you don't fall. I fell on the parking lot a couple of days ago because it wasn't enough pressure in my tire to keep me elevated and I turned too sharply. Had it been enough pressure in there, I might have survived the, the turn. Uh, um, yeah, pressure in the crust of the earth seems dangerous, and it is, but it's that same pressure from miles that takes a lump of coal and turns it into a diamond over time. The same pressure does that. And so when I think about something happening in my life apart from being involved with the Lord, I wonder, what do I do with all this pressure that comes to me? Cass, I know you got pressure in your life. James 1, 1 through 4 gives us some clues on how we deal with this, this kind of pressure. See, it's the pressure that we experience from various trials in life that actually helps us grow in Christ. And so I'm telling you, while you're always running from pressure in your life, that pressure is going to help make you better. It's going to make you closer. You don't want it, but you want to get better. And sometimes you got to go through something in order to get better. When Jesus heard about the death of John the Baptist, he did something that I think is extremely important. And that is he withdrew from all of his fellow, from the disciples. And that's what I came to tell you. Sometimes when things are tough on you, you need to get away from it all. Yeah, retreat is not just an option. It's a necessity. All right, you need to get away so that you can reformulate your relationship with the Lord. See, he didn't just get away. This is what we do. We retreat, but we don't rest. Yeah, we do. Think about this. When was the last time you went on a vacation and rested? You come back from the vacation as tired as you left. In fact, you need, most of us have got to the point where we take an extra day so we can be off the day we return from the trip because we know I'm going to be worn out if I'm driving by the time I get back at dog 30 at night because I'm aware I'm going to take it to the last degree. If it takes me eight hours to drive back, I'm going to leave such that I just got eight hours to get back. I'm going to get out the car. And if I got to go to work in the morning, I'm just going to be towed up. People going to say, how was your vacation? Oh, it was great. I'm worn out. You haven't even helped yourself physically and emotionally. That's not to say you didn't have a good time. That's not going to say you didn't have wonderful experiences. But when I'm talking about rest, I'm talking about really clearing the day. I'm talking about you communing with the Lord. You and him, because that's what Jesus did. He sent the disciples away from the desert area. And he went up into the mountain to pray, to reconnect. See, he had expended a lot of energy emotionally learning about John the Baptist, healing people. Remember when the woman touched him, when he was walking through the crowd and he realized that someone had touched him and healed him and he said, virtue left him. In other words, there was an exchange from him to the woman. And now here he is healing all these people. It's draining him. 
to help all these people. Something is happening to him and he needs to go somewhere and recharge a battery. And I don't care how much you do around here at this church and how much you love doing it. Every now and then, you got to get away from it because it drains you. It drains you. Helping other people while it's, it's validating, it still pulls something from you. And so Jesus got away from them. Retreat is a necessity, and it's during trials. You got to get some distance and some solitude uh, for yourself. So also, you need to reconnect. Why you need to reconnect with, with the Lord? Because he's the source of power. He is the source of power. It, it, it's not the source of power. It's not little fruity drinks with umbrellas in it. No, no, it's not the source of power. That's not. And I'm not, I'm not speaking about that one. It's not, it's, it's not coconut or not all that. It's not massage. It's, it's, you got to connect to a source that feeds back into you. And that's the Lord. And so I'm asking you this. Where is your solitary place? It doesn't have to be on an island somewhere. It can be at your house. It can be in your car. It can, be, it can be a park around here where you simply go and get yourself together. I was getting ready to go to, um, to eat lunch the other day, and one of my coworkers came by, and um, I said, well, where are you going? And she said, I don't know. I might just go walk through the mall or, something, or walk through something. I said, okay. I said, you do that a lot? She said, no, nah, it's just something from day to day. I said, well, a lot of times I just go to the park right around to the park and just sit next to the park and eat and just kind of get me together in a space where there's nobody else, just me. And as, as lonely as that sounds, I come back feeling encouraged because I've had a chance to focus on me as opposed to somebody else's situation. And I'm telling you, don't feel like you're cheating everybody because you take some time for yourself. Because you're not. You need to be able to do you uh, sometimes. And it doesn't take long. Just a lunch period sometimes. And if you're not able to get away and do that kind of thing, just find your space somewhere uh, and be able to do it. Watch this. Just because you're going through something doesn't mean you don't have to show compassion. This is important. Just because your day has been rocked doesn't mean you can be ugly to other folks. Yeah, you ever seen somebody whose life seems to have just been upended and they start going off on everybody, uh, being mean to everybody? Well, that's not the example that Jesus showed. Jesus shows us that he lost his cousin and he turns around and immediately starts helping other people. Now, that's, that's not the, that's not the anti-Christian way. That's the Christian way. We still have to have compassion on others, even when our world has been turned upside down. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if your mama didn't tell you, you're going to have days like this. Well, life is going to come at you real hard, but don't throw, don't throw your hurt on somebody else. Take the time to help them if you can. Not only did he show them this himself, he expected the disciples to do the same thing. And he guided them in helping the people who were there. And the disciples had been having a tough time themselves now. All right. They, they, they were struggling themselves. 
because they too should have been at that point able to help people and they weren't. But they did what Jesus told them to do and they were able to help a whole lot of folk. James says that we ought to count it all joy. Yeah. Do you count it all joy? Do you, do you put an A-L-L? Remember, you spell it all the time in this sermon. The A-L-L. Count it all joy when you get yourself in the, when you find yourself in these situations. Yeah. Count it the good joy. The bad is joy. Yeah. Not just the stuff you like, but every bit of it has to be counted as joy because all of it goes into making you better. Look, believers are going to experience trials. Look at this now, because I know this is a part of the scripture. You may not have looked at this closely. The disciples did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They got in the boat, Cam. They were crossing to the other side, and the storms came. I'm going to wait and see if y'all understand. You can be doing everything right in your life and storms will still come. Storms will still come even when you are being completely obedient. See, this is what rocks us psychologically because the first thing we say is, I've been trying to do better. I've been trying to do what the Lord tells me to do. And, and in the middle of trying to do right, here comes the storm. Yeah, but two things I need to give you as reassurance. When the disciples were in the boat and the storms came, guess who was watching? Jesus. Jesus was watching them the whole time. Why? How do I know that? Because they were on the lake and he was in the mountain, which means he could see them. The entire time. He always has his eyes on you, even when you don't know that he's watching. He's always watching, but he always is watching you because he has the vantage point to be able to see what's going on in your life. And then Deacon Hudson, this is what I know. He'll come to you before you ask him to. The question is, do you have faith enough to know that it's him coming to you under those circumstances? And of the 12, only one had faith enough to even recognize or even question that it was the Lord, and that's Peter. And then we got to know this, his faith was fleeting. He had faith enough to ask, but it wasn't as mature as it certainly was going to be later. All right? And so know that Suffering is a part of our lives. I didn't make it that way, but it's simply a part of being in the Christian journey. How do I know that? Jesus suffered. Paul suffered. Peter suffered. And all of them suffered. All because they lived trying to live right. Trying to help other folk. But throughout all of these circumstances we see in scripture, God is sovereign over every one of them. He is the one who is in charge. And so know this, the fact that we're aware today that suffering is a part of this journey that we're on is in fact grace. It's an act of grace that we know that we're going to go through certain things. It would be different if they caught us unaware 
if we didn't know that things would happen to us on this Christian walk. But I came to tell you today that you a man is but a few days and then full of trouble. I came to tell you today that in this Christian walk, you will have problems. But Jesus said, be encouraged. Why? Because I've overcome the world. You're going to go through things in this life. You're not going to go through this Christian walk wrapped in bubble wrap. That's not going to happen. Things will happen. How you deal with it is crucial. How you respond to the problems in your life. I'm sure every person who could would say a prayer each day for nothing to ever happen to them. And plenty of folk have been saying that prayer while something's happening to them. Because that's life. That's just simply life and it happens quickly. But guess what? You're going to grow from your trials. Or you will. You'll, you'll, you'll grow from your trials. Because it's in the furnace of life. It's in the problems of life that you understand that you have approval from God. He's taking, he's taking care of you. James is very, very clear when he says to us that consider it pure joy when you find yourself in many different kinds of trials. Consider it joy because you'll know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Your faith being tested grows you in maturity. One might ask, if I'm never tested, am I being faithful? I, I'm, I'm simply asking you to, to, to question that. If I, if I don't ever go through anything, does that mean the devil doesn't see me as a threat? Does he already have me where he wants me? And I'm not suggesting that the more you go through, the more faithful you are. I'm not saying that. But some of us live such a in-the-middle life that you can't tell whose side we're on. And I can tell you right now that the Lord expects us to declare fully who's on his side. And once you make that declaration, it's game on. The enemy knows you're a threat because he doesn't want anybody to be on the Lord's side. He wants everybody to struggle and to have the same faith in the end that he and his minions are going to have. If you're in the furnace, if you're in the furnace of life, you should know that that's the proving ground for you because it produces endurance, produces perseverance is what the scripture says. Not only that, the furnace results in our greatest joy and that means we're living in conformity to Jesus Christ. Jesus went through suffering for us, not for himself. All right. And the more we know that, the more we understand that, then the more Christ-like our journey is. The point is not just to hold on when we're going through something. The point is to grow. Watch this now. Folks say, I just, I'm just holding on. I'm just going to ride this out. Yeah, it'll be over soon. But are you going to be any better yeah. on the other side of it? Are you still going to be that same mean something you were? Or is, is this situation going to burn some of that ugly off? Because the Lord is trying to get your attention and trying to grow you to a place. So endurance is not the final goal. Maturity and completion is the final goal. God wants you to be like his son. 
And so he allows, allows Job, he allows things to happen that changes you. Know this though, the last thing I'll tell you is that endurance, I mean that believers will overcome trials. Yeah. We are overcomers by our faith. We are overcomers. God will finish the work that he started in us. Believers will endure the trials for our good and to his glory. We'll come through those trials. But our question is this. How do we respond to the suffering? How we respond matters. Our response in tough times reveals our heart for the Lord. I say all the time if I watch our mother die from leukemia. And it was tough. Anybody who's gone through that and seen somebody they love struggle with the disease, it's, it's, tr it's tough. And mama, as she was going through it, used to say something that I remember uh, vividly. She said she was going to keep doing what she, was, what she was able to do. She said, because death knows my itinerary. And I'm not going to sit here and wait on death to come to me. And so we, keep, we catch her driving. I pulled up five points west. Got out the car going in Parisians at the time. And as I, as I start walking in the lane, car turns in. And the driver's looking at me and just drops her head because it's my mama <laughs> driving. And I said, what you doing? <laughs> she had to go buy somebody a present for Christmas. I said, well, mama, we, any of us could have brought you. She said, I want to do it. She said, I want to pick them a present. What do you say at that point? We already at the mall. I should have said, buy me one too. How you deal with circumstances. The Sunday before our mother passed away, we had an event at the church. And after the uh, service, they back there fixing food, you know, the way we used to do in church. And mama's back there just working. She was weak. And everybody said, kept saying, Dar, sit down. Dar, sit down. And her response to each one of them was the same. She'd say, no, I got to work today. She, could, she said, because this may be my last time. And she didn't say that because it was a song. She didn't say that because it was a song lyric. She said it because it was the truth. That this may be the last time. She was in the furnace. But she was growing stronger in her faith. This was Sunday. The next Sunday morning is when I found that my mama had gone to glory. The very next Sunday morning, she was dressed for Sunday school and had died on her bed. She was right. It was her last time. So if no other example is set, I know you can work and I know you can love while you're going through something. Because that's the example I've seen set. Was it easy? Oh, absolutely not. Wasn't easy for her. I can't imagine how she harmed herself just trying to keep going. But she did it. 
We're all going to face seasons of suffering. Each one of us will face these seasons. How you respond to it is going to make all the difference in the world. You remember I told you at the beginning of this message about George Washington and his troops. Finish the story for you. They struggled. Three days after he gave them the speech, these are the times that tried men's soul. Three days later, they made an unexpected raid. This would be Christmas night. <laughs> they made an unexpected raid on the troops across the Delaware. They wiped them out. Nobody expected them to come at that point. That battle changed the course of the entire battle. And because of their courage, people started joining the Continental Army because they saw how brave those men were. What are you saying that for? Because sometimes how you deal with your circumstances can bring faith in other people. Sometimes how you act based on what you're going through can be just the example that your brother or your sister or your wife or your children need in order to make that connection with the Lord. So my question to you is, how have you been dealing with your pressure and your problems? Are you providing the example? The greatest example we have is Jesus. Jesus took all our problems to the cross. He took them for us. He didn't blame anybody when he was there. In fact, he was forgiven for them. The very people who were crucifying him, he was forgiving them. And he took time to go through the business of life while he was dying for us. He said, here's your mama. Take care of your mama. Yeah. He took care of a thief that had not lived his life right the entire time. He said, this faith at this moment is going to make you come and be with me in paradise. Jesus was still about his father's business even while he was taking care of my business and your business. Even while he was dying for you and for me, he was still showing us how we ought to live. So I ask you again, what example are you setting? If your mama never told you, I came to tell you today, you're going to have days like this. How you respond to it makes all the difference in the world. I'm empowered by the highest officers in heaven to extend to you an invitation to be a part of the Christian family. To accept the invitation, to accept the gift of salvation that Jesus Christ has given you. I'm empowered to do that. The question is, have you already accepted his gift? If you haven't, Today you've heard something that makes you think you want to accept that gift then I invite you to do so. Jesus was upset in the message because his cousin John the Baptist had passed away. This is the same John the Baptist who baptized Jesus. Of course he's upset. My question to you is have you been baptized? Have you made a public declaration that you love Jesus and what he's done? If you haven't, then I extend the invitation for you to come. Or maybe you've already gone through that baptismal ceremony. 
but you need to find a place where you feel accepted and comfortable, where you can grow in fellowship and grow in God's grace. I strongly suggest you try 45th Street. We're not perfect, but every day we're trying to get better. As they sing this song of welcome to you, those of our church are wide open. Whosoever will, let them come right now. He offers Christ.